Television is more interesting than people. If it were not, we would have people standing in the corner of our rooms. So said Alan Corrin. Meanwhile, Bill Hicks suggested that watching television is like taking black spray paint to your third eye. You are about to hear the first television commercial ever to run in the UK. It was broadcast on the 22nd of September 1955 at 12 past 8pm on ITV. The brand advertised was Gibbs SR Toothpaste and featured a tube of toothpaste in a block of ice. It's tingling fresh. It's fresh as ice. It's Gibbs SR Toothpaste, the tingling fresh toothpaste that does your gums good too. The tingle you get when you brush with SR is much more than a nice taste. It's a tingle of health. It tells you something very important, that you're doing your gums good and toughening them to resist infection. And as this chart shows, gum infection is the cause of more tooth losses than decay itself. The tingle in SR comes from sodium ricinoleate, a substance which both dental research and years of use in dental practice have shown to be good for the gums. So, to keep your teeth white as snow, your gums really healthy and your breath really fresh, see your dentist regularly and brush with SR, the tingling fresh toothpaste for teeth and gums. Gibbs SR. The commercial reached an estimated 105,000 homes. It was the first ad to be broadcast on the night, ahead of all the other brands, because it was the first one to be chosen out of a hat. We caught up with Brian Palmer, the copywriter and lead creative responsible for bringing the ad together, to ask what he thinks of the commercial now. At the time I was proud of it. I'm not sure that I'm proud of it now, which is a different thing. What we thought the job was then was to translate a campaign which had been successful in print and on posters into television. So effectively, that's what I did. But it was a bit of, if you look at it now, um, you'll see that it's really a bit of a slideshow because it started, started with the image of a, the toothpaste in the ice block in a stream, uh, which was quite arresting at least, and then went on to show a graph of uh, somebody brushing their teeth, surprise, surprise, and a graph uh, showing that more teeth were lost through uh, gum decay than through um, tooth decay. And I think it was successful in conveying that message, but I don't think it was a piece of great art. Here, Brian explains how commercial television was a slow burner in the UK. Commercial television was very slow to take off. I forget the numbers of viewers, but it was something very small at the end of the first year, hundreds, a few hundreds of thousands. Uh, and all the smart money was getting out. Newspapers and so on who had invested in it got out, and it just left the showmen who still believed in it to stay and refinance it. Sir Alan Parker has written and directed many iconic films, including Bugsy Malone, Midnight Express, Fame and Evita. However, he first developed his talents by working in advertising in the 60s. He believes that commercial television was slow to take off because the initial ads were so bad. I think that when television commercials started, first of all, they were quite appalling. They were just stupid, amateur, not just silly, really, just uh, infantile. And I think that they were ignored for a long time. First year or two that they existed, they were not thought of at all, and certainly no one thought... They, everyone thought they were peculiar, really, odd. 
no one understood where they might go and what they might become. But uh, at the, when they came out, I think most people ignored them. Nobody actually watched it. There was a huge irritant TV commercials were in those days. I think that uh, there was just no creativity put into it. It was not, no one was really very expert at it, at either writing for it or actually certainly not making the commercials. And so I think for the for early years of TV commercials in this country were so appalling because no one was very good at it, really, because it was so weird that no one had any... There was no sense of experience in it because it was, it was an American phenomenon and nobody quite knew what to do. And mostly they ran sort of cartoon versions of American stuff, you know, which weren't, weren't very good. Television advertising in the UK went through some trial and error. Here, Brian recalls a strange form of live television ad programmes which didn't last very long. There was something called advertising magazines which were designed to help the smaller advertiser and they were kind of playlets. I mean, there was one called Jim's Inn which took place in a fictional pub uh, where they demonstrated... You know, the wife would come in and said, oh, look what I found in the shops. It's uh, Bird's Vincent Whip. Uh, it's a lovely dessert. You just uh, put it in a cup and add some milk and whip it up and there you've got a delicious uh, dessert. And um, you did that live because it wasn't it was too expensive to film each time. And anyway, it was part of the flow of the programme because there'd be, then it would go on to something else and say, oh yes, and I've, uh, I've got this new beer, you know, or whatever it was, for 15 minutes they were. I don't know what happened to them, but they were great fun to do, uh, particularly if you had something like an ice cream or a dessert, because it was apt to melt under the lights. And uh, I will confess to using uh, mashed potato on one occasion, I can't remember which particular product. So, with such insalubrious beginnings, how did TV commercials become the behemoth that they are today? Alan believes that it all had to do with a change in creative approach, and that commercial TV wasn't taken seriously until directors and writers started focusing on producing ads that were just as good as the TV programmes themselves. In the end, commercials have to compete with the programme material around it. And our mantra always was that our commercials would be as good as the programmes that they were interrupting. So rather than being irritant, which commercials had been at that time, people started to look forward to them. They started to talk about them. Because they were, they were miniature story stories, they were, um, they were funny, and you know, they were selling people things, and they were successful because of that. Jeremy Bullmore, Atlant philosopher and former head of television at ad agency JWT, also believes that commercial television's reputation was helped greatly by when it first went national. Because at the beginning... Commercial TV was consigned mainly to London. It began to work only when it, it began to go national. As it grew, you could, you could begin to do regional tests of television. You could put them in the, into a certain television area and check sales against the rest. And all, over and over again, it began to be evidence that, that those, those regions where television had been exposed would be out, outperforming the non-television areas. And, and quite soon, there were almost no agnostics left. It was no longer a media choice. You just assumed that if you had a certain amount of money and you had the sort of staple products, the everyday products, 
reaching everyday people, you would certainly, you'd say, right, we'll start with television and see what we've got left over after that. I mean, it became the dominant medium and then the dominant creative medium because we began to learn how to do it skillfully and wittily and classily. And so the rest is history. As Jeremy said, commercial television became the dominant creative medium and ushered in a golden age of advertising where many directors like Alan Parker, Hugh Hudson, Ridley Scott and many others got their big break. Brian believes that commercial TV was successful because there was a guaranteed captive audience for brands, something which certainly isn't the case anymore. There were three BBC channels and two or three commercial channels. That was very good for advertisers and also not bad for the public because uh, there was enough money coming into the channels to make good, ad- good programmes and enough audience, because of the limitations of the channels, to guarantee the clients a return for their money. And so now it's very hard to do good advertising or to, because not only have you got the fragmentation of the television media, you've got the social media, which nobody knows whether they work or not, or to what extent they work or not, as well. And you've got now coming up like gangbusters, you've got the Netflixes and the um, the streaming channels. So I just don't know where it's going now. But I think it's very hard for people, except at Christmas, to find the budget to make to make good advertising. Because this fragmentation of media has led to less attention and money being spent on TV commercials, Alan believes it has had a negative impact on the quality of talent that's coming into the industry. I mean, every so often, once a year, there is a John Lewis commercial, quite brilliant. And those are the ones that people look forward to. But that's, they're so rare now. Most people don't want to watch commercials because they're so bad. <clears throat> and it's self-perpetuating. Because they're bad, good people don't want to be involved. In spite of the challenges facing commercial television today, there is no doubt that it remains one of the most powerful tools in the brand-building arsenal. And, at its peak, it gave birth to some of the most creative campaigns that have ever been produced in the UK. We asked Ryan what impact commercial television has ultimately had on the world. I think that actually commercial television in this country, and right across Europe probably, changed the world because... It signified the change from the producer society to the consumer society that we know. After the war, uh, you had to take what you could get. Uh, People were catching up and people accepted what they'd got because that was what there was. Now, what commercial television showed was the possibility of other things that uh, are not just in the ads, but also in the programming, some of the American programming like I Love Lucy and so on, which showed a way of life of ordinary people who are enjoying a standard of living far beyond what you're having here. And maybe this could be yours if you worked very hard and encouraged your government to do things that helped you in that way. It opened up a new world of possibilities. 
The History of Advertising podcast was presented by Jack Meggett Phillips and featured contributions from Brian Palmer, Jeremy Bullmore and Sir Alan Parker. The programme was produced by Jane Jarvis and Jack Meggett Phillips. To find out more about the adverts featured on this programme, please go to hatads.org.uk. Meanwhile, if you're interested in how the rise of the internet affected Adland, visit the History of Advertising Trust on patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com today, where you can access an exclusive episode covering off this very topic.